Hello, welcome to another Use of Force. This week on our walk, we're walking the far north coast of Queens. It's our second week in a row of walking the Queens coast. And the following incident of use of force takes place in Flushing on the way up towards the coast. Jesse is going to read about that incident now. At approximately 7.26 hours on October 26, 2014, four officers responded to a radio call at New York Queens Hospital, where upon arrival, they met with security personnel. The officers were informed that approximately four hours previously, a recent patient had approached a nurse demanding syringes, and on being challenged by security officers, produced and brandished a knife. The hospital provided information on the suspect to the officers who then proceeded to the suspect's address. On arrival, the suspect was observed in front of the building, but on being challenged, moved down an adjacent walkway. Officers moved to surround the suspect and on noticing one of the officers following him, he lunged with a box cutter before continuing. It was at this point that the suspect noticed a second officer moving towards him from the opposite direction of the walkway and ignoring directions moved towards the officer with the box cutter in hand. Said officer then discharged his service a firearm two times, striking the subject who was pronounced dead on removal to the hospital. Subject toxicology, toxicology revealed the presence of narcotics. Okay. So, several things to talk about here. The big question with respect to this one appears to be the officer's actions when confronted with a weapon, which in this case is a box cutter. Right. The man who was killed by the police was named Joseph Priolo. The officer that shot his weapon and killed Joseph is named Officer Caesar Dorado. Mm -hmm. And there's quite a lot of reporting about this incident. It all basically says the same thing and actually matches up pretty well with the use of force report. So, yeah, like you just said, Mike, the question isn't really what happened here. It's more about whether or not this was justified. Yeah. And there's currently a case open that Joseph's mother filed. Uh, I guess it was a lawsuit against the NYPD and also the city of New York. And in this inc incident, we can actually pull up the at least one of the legal documents that pertain to this case. And in that document, the plaintiff being uh, Joseph Priolo's mother and the lawyers that are representing her have some interviews from witnesses that I didn't see in any of the um, news reporting that would have come out right after the incident saying that 
you know, some eyewitnesses saw this go down and that in fact, Joseph hadn't lunged at the police officer. So that is the only sort of discrepancy in, in reporting. But then as far as whether or not he did lunge at the police officer, the, the question still remains of whether what the officer did was justified. Right. And this becomes an instructive example of qualified immunity. Yeah, and I think we've spoken about qualified immunity um, at least once before on here. It's not something that I knew really what that meant, and I think I'm still learning. But there was a small quote that I pulled from this legal document that says, as the text of the Fourth Amendment indicates, the appropriate inquiry is whether the officers acted reasonably, not whether they had less intrusive alternatives available to them. And that relates to this idea of qualified immunity because it turns out that unless there's been something an incident that's happened exactly the same way as whatever is being tried in court that has landed or has ended with an officer being charged, then there's no grounds for charging an officer. Right. So in other words, Officers can basically do anything as long as there hasn't already been something that's happened that's been deemed unacceptable. And it, it doesn't seem as though things happen that then people realize that it should be unacceptable, but that particular officer doesn't get charged, you know, because they didn't know any better as, you know, legally. It doesn't seem like they add that to the books or make it a new thing ever. So I don't really, it seems like a little loophole. Right. Yeah, there's no, as far as we can tell, to our knowledge, in place mechanism that would fix these things if they weren't on the books already for future instances. And likely the only things that get them on the books are an overwhelming force of public will that, you know, creates situations where the government has to act in some way. Right. And parts of the way that, so in this case in particular, the defendant and, you know, his lawyers put together this packet or list of other cases where police officers have not been charged and cases that are similar to what happened, I think is what they're going for. But I was reading through the cases and some of them are, are somewhat similar, but some of them, you know, in this particular case, Joseph had a box cutter, which had one inch of the blade exposed and the rest of the blade 
in the plastic casing. So some of the cases that were listed had people that had 13 inch knives or you know kitchen knives or something that okay it's still a knife but seems like that would present a little bit more of a threat i'm thinking about if someone was you know coming towards me with a box cutter i don't even know that i would feel too nervous right and and the the part that you know this so how this all played out is that one of the other police officers simply moved out of the way yeah but because the the people that are judging this case and if there's a jury involved they're told specifically to not think about whether or not there was another reasonable way for the police officer to deal with it it's more about whether or not this in itself was reasonable right and then you could you know say that it's reasonable insofar as the officer didn't have the ability to discern the threat level and made the decision that by not complying they the the person opened themselves up to whatever consequences ensued. Right, and I'm sure that's the argument that the defendant was trying to make. But I also just think it's, a, it's too confusing because I don't know how you judge whether something was reasonable without thinking about alternative behaviors. Right. So when you're saying, no, 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 don't think about those alternative behaviors, just purely think about whether or not this was reasonable. Basically, you're saying, think about this in a vacuum, which just isn't the way that we are living in the world. Right. So ultimately, this case is still pending. It hasn't been fully settled. It looks, from what I could tell, it looks as though the officer himself was basically let off with a slap on the wrist like we see in a lot of these incidents. He, it looked as though he had to go through a little bit of extra training. Yeah. And I think the case against the city of New York, which is what it ends up, where it always ends up going as far as a financial settlement, it looks like that's still pending. Yeah. Which is an interesting thing, too, that it's hard to know how to frame that discussion without seeming callous or feeling like it's missing the very larger real point of people losing their lives. But ultimately, uh, the general public is shouldering the burden there in this through the city, which uses money that they collect from us. Sure. So, you know, we are complicit in the system in that manner. Sure, and I, you know, I think that a family that loses a loved one in this way 
should be, you know, should be given something. They should be compensated in some way. They should win the lawsuit, is my opinion. But I also think that the people that actually made this happen should be involved in paying it, if not in full, at least partially. And from, you know, when in most of these, and I'm generalizing a little bit here, but in most of these incidents that we've been reading about, whenever the family is interviewed about, you know, what they're feeling or what they would like to see happen, it's very rarely that they'd like a cash settlement. And it's more that they want to see some sort of change in policing. They want to see that particular officer taken off the force. They want to see that particular officer punished in some way. They want to see that their family member didn't just die for no reason and and have that be something that no one seems to have a problem with. I don't, I really don't think that Although, you know, they should be getting the money, if nothing else, it's not what they seem to want. No, I think in a very real way it impedes progress because it uh, it deflates momentum for changing these things. And people are, you know, they're, they're basically presented the option by everyone around them, which is take this money or you're not going to get anything done. Right. And then in that situation, how are people, you know, some people, maybe they're well off, they don't need it. Other people, it's like, you know, this could change my life in a positive way and like maybe get me to forget that this terrible thing happened and it seems so hopeless anyway and they're telling me this is the only thing that's going to work, then I guess I'll just go along with it. Right. Well, and also with this qualified immunity distinction that police officers have, even if you don't take the money or you don't sue the city, it still doesn't seem like there's much that people can do to actually make some sort of change that would bring justice to the person that was killed or the family. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess we'll, you know, we will keep researching these cases. We'll keep learning as much as we can, and hopefully other people can are engaged as well. I'm sure there's a lot of people that are. And I think that about wraps up what we have to say about this incident with Joseph Pirillow. So thanks again for listening to everyone. And as always, if you have information or anything that relates to this topic, we are interested to hear from you. Bye. Bye.